Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha podcast features Rabbi Mike Foyer on Parshat Vaera. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Mike Foyer. Parshat Vaera. 5783. You know, they say most quotes come from either Shakespeare or the Bible. And there's a line from Romeo and Juliet that could rightly serve as an introduction to our Parsha. What's in a name? What, which we call rose by any other name, would smell as sweet. Because it seems that our Parsha opens up with an inordinate concern about names. Right? You see there in Shemot 6. Right at the first couple of lines, the very fact that you have the name Elohim and Hashem together should tip you off. But in case you missed it, then it says, Obviously, God is concerned that Moshe get God's name right. It seems a little bit strange, but we can connect it to a much larger picture, both between this Parsha and previous. I mean, recall Paro's initial response to Moshe's appearance and insistence that, of course, he let my people go. Right back in the fifth chapter of Shemot, the second line says, Paro, Mi Hashem asher et Lo yadati et Hashem, lo right? Who is this Hashem that I should listen to his voice and send out Israel? I've never heard of the guy. I don't know Hashem. And, and that's strange. Lo yadati et Hashem, right? Yediat Hashem, the knowledge of God being a very deep principle within Judaism, here is pushed aside in favor of a simple understanding in the Targum Unclus, who says, V'amaparo, Shema Hashem, lo itgalili. Then this name of God is not revealed to me. Says Paro, listen, I know all the big gods. I know who I ought to fear and who I can dismiss out of hand. This one, I've never even heard of clearly doesn't need to be a matter of concern to send this God's people out into the wilderness, especially when they are my major labor force. And of course, Paro is not the only one who's hung up on whether the name of God demands action or not. It was actually expressed in Moshe's original concern. As he was going back and forth with the Lord in the third chapter of Shemot, lines 13 through 15, you may recall it says, the Moshe says, uh, I'm going to come to Am Yisrael, and I'm going to say to them, right, the Lord God of your forefathers has sent me. And they're going to say to me, oh yeah, what's his name? What should I respond? Now, God's response to Moshe, yeah, that I will be that which I will be, deserves an exploration in its own right, and it really belongs, rightly speaking, to last week's Parsha. But it's quite a powerful question to begin with. They're not, he's not saying that the people will doubt in a matter of abstract faith or a sort of theological principle. They need to know a name in order for redemption to come about. And God emphasizes there not just a yes, a yeah, which maybe we'll return to in a moment, that I will be with that which I will be. But then it says in a more simple sense, right? Tell them, Hashem Elohevotechem. Right? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, that's who sent me. This is my name forever. This is how I shall eternally be recalled. So that's really our question. What is in a name? 
Now, a bit of an answer can actually come from the way in which Rashi explains these opening lines of our parsha. Remember, what's happened is that Moshe, after his first attempt to convince Paro to let Am Yisrael go, has been rebuffed. Not only has he been rebuffed, but things have gotten worse. And at the end of last week's parsha, came to God with a complaint. It's probably a fairly common complaint amongst people who are trying to do work on the behalf of others, which is, I, you sent me to do the job, and it's only gotten worse, right? Paro, of course, took away the right of Am Yisrael to clay, or sorry, to straw to make their clay bricks. And they're complaining to Moshe, and Moshe's feeling the heat. And he turns back to the Lord who sent him and said, listen, things have only gotten worse. And God's response is quite strange, right? Except when you understand it through Rashi's lens. Because when he, Rashi explains that when God says, that's not just a statement of fact, I am the four-lettered name of God. Rashi explains, Ne'eman l'sharim schartov Right? What does it mean, this Shem Hashem, this four-lettered name of God? It's indicative of the God who's reliable, who's trustworthy to pay out the reward which is due to those who go before me. And furthermore, pay out the reward to those who refuse to do so, Rashi goes on to explain. And then it says, Be'el Shaddai, right? When, he, when it says that I revealed myself to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov with this name of El Shaddai, Rashi explains, I made them promises, right? And in all the promises I made to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, I used this name El Shaddai. So Rashi explains, And I did not, I was not really known to them through this name of God. And Rashi is very careful. He says, He doesn't say, I didn't make known to them this name because clearly Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov used the four-lettered name of God. But actually, I wasn't sort of known unto them. Like, they didn't recognize this. This is the key, right? They didn't recognize me through my true quality, this Mida Amitut Sheli. That it's in this particular true quality when it's manifest in the world by paying reward to those who go before me or punishment to those who refuse. That, that, that's when my name is Hashem. Right? The one who basically can be counted on to make my words real in the world. And I promise them and I never followed through, or at least they never saw the follow-through. And then his particular complaint against Moshe, God's particular complaint is, I promised them, they believed in me, even though they never saw. You're going to see that which I promised come to fruition. This is the name of Hashem. Therefore, just stay with the program. Now, what's interesting, aside from the important explanation of these somewhat obtuse verses, is that this explanation of Rashi shows us that we actually disagree with Shakespeare, right? Because it doesn't just say, What's in a name? He says, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And yet Rashi just told us that's not true. That which we call a rose by any other name would not smell as sweet. And this brings us into one of the fundamental challenges of all communication. If you want to understand where relationships break down, where education becomes ineffective, you, can, you need to understand what's called the problem of the signifier and the signified. Right? This is a theory of language. It says that a word is basically a symbol. It signifies something. A table is the signified, and the word table is the signifier. Now, that's relatively simple when it comes to physical objects, but the reality is words are not just symbols that represent specific 
meanings. I mean, if everybody listening to this right now pictured a table, we'd all probably be able to identify the object in each other's thoughts. If we all imagined a tree, even though it might be your dogwood in the backyard and my giant oak tree from the tree lawn of my youth, we'd still all say, oh, yeah, 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 it looks different, but those are trees. But if I asked you all to think about God or love or mother, we might find ourselves in a world in which that which is signified by the signifier, that which you mean with the word mother, might be fundamentally different than that which I mean. Right? And this is the sort of beautiful irony of language that the more le- meaning-laden a word is, the less likely it is that we share that same meaning, that the signifiers signify the same thing, unless we maintain between us a live conversation, that we speak the same language, not in a technical sense of French versus Hebrew, but rather in a real sense that we share enough of a relationship that the words we give back and forth aren't little boxes that we hope to code meaning into, but are bridges for a depth of relationship in which we share experience and understanding. And that shouldn't come as any surprise because it's written into the very beginning of the book of Brashid of Genesis. In fact, the specific power of names as opposed to words in general is presented as essential to the human role in completing creation. Recall the second chapter of Breshit, of Genesis, the 19th line, where it says, God makes everything. It's a sort of a repetition of what we've seen before. Everything out of the earth, wild beasts, etc., and brings them to Ha'adam, to the human. Right? What, what will Adam call them. The kol yikralo ha'adam, everything which the human called each living creature, nefesh chaya, everything, you know, he called each living, who shmo, that became its name. Now, one might say that Adam had some special quality of identifying the reality within each creature, which is an interesting discussion. But the other perspective is what I'm focused on right now, is that the name bespoke the nature of the relationship between Adam and everything which Adam encountered. Because names even more so than language in general, are bridges to relationship, right? This is a cow because it's what it is to the Adam. And God decides to live in Adam's world in that sense, which is why it's such a heavy moment in creation. By the way, even further back toward the beginning, Rashi makes it clear that names are the negotiation bridge, not just between humanity and our experience of creation, but between creator and creation itself. The first line, of the first chapter of Breshit, right? When it says, Bara Elohim, right? It was that the name of Elohim that created the word, world. And Rashi says, Velo bara Hashem. And it doesn't say the four-lettered name God of, of God you know, created the world like it will at, in, in the beginning of the second chapter. He says, In the beginning, God thought to create the world with the quality of judgment, which Rashi says is associated with the name of Elohim, right? That it's not just a specific name, Elohim, versus the four-letter name of Hashem or Adonai, right? Rather, it's a mode of relationship between creator and created, right? Originally, the world was meant to be created in that mode of judgment. The world can't work that way, frankly, in too tight of judgment. We could talk about that some other time. Why? But for now, he says, And therefore, God sort of preempted that quality of 
of judgment which is necessary for the creation of the world and gave it a context of rachamim, of compassion. And that's why it says in that second chapter verse, on the day that the, the Lord God, as it's translated, but the four-letter name of God followed by Elohim, that's how the world, the land and the heavens, were created in the second chapter. So, meaning Rashi, from the very outset, gives us a frame of understanding that the names of God presented to us in the Torah are modes of relationship, just as Rashi emphasizes in the explanation at the beginning of our Parsha of Vayera, that when God says to Moshe, Ani Hashem, right, that God is making a promise to Moshe that you will come to know me as no one yet has, as creation has not yet sinned, even Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov knew me as El Shaddai. They knew me in my mode of making promises, and they had faith that I would follow through. But you, Moshe, will know me in a way in which the world itself reveals my power, right? And that's a true introduction, of course, of what's to come in our Parsha as the Makot, the plagues, begin to unfold. And as God indeed says later in the Parsha, just as the divine name is becoming quite known throughout all Egypt through the plagues, I mean, how many major disasters does it take until... Pharaoh's claim, I don't know this God's name, has been wiped out entirely. Everybody knows the four-letter name of God by the time this story's over. And we see there in the eighth chapter of Shemot, in the 18th line, it says, right, that God at this point is going to make a distinction. Right when uh, when the when the Arov when the plague of Arov, which you know it's a bit of a debate of what it is, but the mixed multitude comes raining down on Egypt. Now there's going to be a distinction that that where Am Yisrael lives in Goshen. There will be no plague. Why? In order that you know that I am Hashem, the four-lettered name of God, in the midst of the land. Meaning there's a sense of revelation, consistent with what Rashi said, that I'm making payback, not just some abstract payback in some other world where we're chalking up merits and demerits in the spiritual sense, but no, that God brings plans to fruition, makes promises and fulfills, right? Makes threat and brings punishment in this world as we know it. And in that sense, when God says to Moshe at the beginning of our Parsha, Ani Hashem, I am the unfolding reality of creation of the four-lettered name, that's a point toward redemption in the Parsha and perhaps even a lesson to us how redemption can unfold in our world. We'll just finish with this thought from Zechariah, a much later prophet. The 14th chapter, ninth line, should be familiar for many people who indulge in the traditional liturgy. It says, Vaya Hashem kol right? And it will be that the Lord will be king over all the land by Yom on that day. Yeah, Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. And the Lord will be one and God's name one. A classic line, but also a classic question. I understand God will be one. There won't be any understanding of false gods. But why will God's name be one? All these names of God, and there are many that we can pull out from the Torah itself, much less the wider literature. Why do they need to be one? So the Gemara in Psachim, in 50a, offers us an answer. He quotes Zechariah, and the Gemara asks, right? Is that to say that now God's not one? Right? When, and Achabar uh, Chania says, well, the world comes not like this world. It's a strange answer, but God's not one. Why? Because in the in this world, when good things happen, we say Hatova Metiv. God is good and does good. When bad things happen, we say Right? That that um that God is a righteous judge. I Means what's called Tzidukadin. It's not a good thing that just happened to me. I just accept everything comes from God. But he goes on to say, in the world to come, or perhaps in the coming world, 
will always actually say Hatov Umeitiv. There's only going to be the understanding that everything comes from God and everything is good. And that's why, according to the Gemara, in that vision, it's not just that God will be one. Yeah, sure. In theory, everything's good, but God's name will be one that will actually experience the unfolding creation as an expression of that compassionate name, as Rashi labels it, of the four-lettered name of God. And indeed, redemption will unfold in the world around us, just as it did for Moshe and the children of Israel in our Parsha. Let it be soon. Let it be now. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.